This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. What's up, Chad? Uh, nothing much. How, how are things with you? I'm good. Just, uh, yeah. <laughs> nothing really new to report here. Yeah, thanks everybody for being patient. Uh, it came time to record in the middle of the week this week, and I was like, I am exhausted. And so uh, we, we postponed until tonight. It is Sunday, which is strange, because theoretically we'll be recording another episode in three days. Uh, so yeah, busy, busy. Yeah. But I got some rest, and it's a three-day weekend, so I get more rest, which is even better. Yeah, the fall busy cut up to me this year. I can normally kind of avoid it in my line of work. Like, I don't really... I don't know, but it's been extra busy for me this year, which is, it's nice, but a lot to to catch up with. Yeah. For some quick housekeeping stuff before we get started, because we do need to get started since we've got three episodes to talk about today. Uh, We did get emails from Greg and Leslie. Thank you both for reaching out and emailing us. We also got new Apple podcast reviews from Lizard and Cam1227. So thank you both as well for the uh, for, for taking the time to review us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. We also got some Facebook recommendations from Friedrich and from Deb. So thank you both for reaching out and recommending us on Facebook. And with that, let's dive in. The first one we're going to discuss today is Secret Santa. There are two versions out there. On the DVD, we get the extended producer's cut, so that's the one that we'll be discussing today. It aired on December 11th, 2009. Directed by Randall Einhorn, written by Mindy Kaling. I sat down to write the summary for this one, and I was like, this is hard to write a summary for. So this is kind of dumbed down, but here you go. It is once again Christmas time at Dunder Mifflin, maybe for the last time ever. In an effort to keep morale high in the face of their company's bleak future, Dwight and Jim team up to throw a fun party for everyone. Festivities include finger foods, a secret Santa gift-giving opportunity, attempted forced lap-sitting, Jesus heckling and eventually pizza eating. <laughs> I love that. That's thanks. It's a great, yeah. <laughs> Jesus heckling in the name of Christmas. Of course. Why? Why else would there be Jesus heckling? <laughs> in the name of Nutcracker Christmas. Uh, <laughs> not that episode, but a great uh, throwback. So, as I often do when discussing character interactions for this show, I kind of group them in in pairs. Mm-hmm. So we've got first, I guess, the Phyllis and Michael pair. So Phyllis really wanted to be Santa this year. And 11 weeks ago, Jim promised her that she could do it. Uh, she approached him 11 weeks in advance, which is she's on top of her game. Excessive. Very excessive. <laughs> but apparently she was right to do so because there was some competition. Michael assumed that he would be Santa. Um, and he showed up in costume and he's totally offended by the idea of anyone else is Santa, but especially as a female Santa. And he refuses to stop being Santa. <laughs> um, Phyllis has got this whole setup. She's got the big cushy chair and the backdrop and a photographer, which is Ryan. Um, mm-hmm. And it's the whole, you know, photos with Santa thing. And Michael is not that prepared. And he's super peeved that um, he's not being taken seriously as the real Santa. Yeah, bless Phyllis. I mean, she is so excited to apparently finally be Santa for Christmas. 
Uh, she says, I believe I have the right temperament and the right figure to do the job well. And she's like happy crying about it. Apparently, this is something she's been wanting for a very long time. And I, what I love most about it is that everyone seems to know that this is something she's been wanting and aspiring for. And so they're like, oh, you they finally let you do it. Congratulations. It's a sweet moment. And then Michael shows up and has to ruin everything. And she confronts Jim when Michael tries to upstage her. And she she says, I want to be the only Santa. He says, that's what I want, too. She says, don't make me get Bob involved. What does that mean? <laughs> what would what would Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration, do? You know, uh, w- w- haven't we theorized at some point or maybe there have been like deleted scenes that sort of hint towards Bob's business being a little bit more sinister than just refrigerator sales? It's got to be. I mean. Well, it doesn't have to be, but um, <laughs> I would I would speculate that as well. But yeah, even Jim asks, what's Bob going to do? And Phyllis says, never mind, I shouldn't have said that. And she runs off like mafia Bob. Like, I don't know. He's no idea. <laughs> definitely has a penchant for violence, it, it sounds like. So that's going on. Um, and Michael is feeling super, I don't know, uh, neglected. Everyone is, is choosing Phyllis over him. Um, and in fact, they're both sitting in their chairs. Michael's sitting opposite Phyllis. And uh, they're both being Santa and doing the Santa, you know, asking what everyone wants. And, and he's sexually assaulting people as Santa. Right. You know, as one as does. In the spirit of Christmas. And <laughs> no one will sit on Michael's lap. He's pulling Ugh. Ryan over, literally pulling him, while saying, come here, I need this, I need this. No. Now that doesn't look great. I- <laughs> We know what he means, but you can't say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ever. Oh, no, you can't. And he says, I don't ask for much for Christmas. I really don't. It's not like I'm begging people to buy me diamonds and, and brooch pendants. <laughs> oh, buy me something expensive or I'm going to kill myself. That's not, I don't care about that. All I want to be is Santa. And you want to take that away from me? Fine, go ahead. But when you need my help, because I am ruining, it, ruining everything, don't look at me. That, that Need my help because I'm ruining everything. Don't look at me. Michael is just like tying knots and circ- going in circles everywhere. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, and so as he's giving that, that speech, he is slowly transforming his costume into that of Jesus Christ, which is a great idea. One of Michael's best. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, again, it's not great. Um, because this, you know, let's one-up Santa. Um, what is Christmas really about? It's really about Jesus. So now this is a Jesus party, not a Santa party. Mm-hmm. And that's just the step above Phyllis. He's just trying to squash her. And I love that to change his costume, everything is just reversed. Mm-hmm. Um and he like pulls his beard down and he grabs some like tassel from his decoration and makes a belt out of it. Yeah. So everyone realizes how inappropriate this is. And he's not even like a good Jesus either. He's this like vindictive, mean, just really like sullen party pooper Jesus. <laughs> mm-hmm. We mentioned that we are talking mostly about the producer cut version, right? Right. Yes. So okay. if there's things we're not talking about it it's likely in some deleted scene footage although i don't think on the dvd we got a a, uh, an option for deleted scenes did we no what they did was they took the episode that broadcast and then they took all the deleted scenes and just put them back in 
Right. So the so we don't it, have it, like a package of deleted scenes. So that's um, about eight minutes longer, I think, than it normally would mm-hmm. have been. And so the, one of the things that we get uh, watching the the normal broadcast episode, Michael or the warehouse workers are all of a sudden up at the party. Well, in the producer cut episode, we actually see Michael dressed as Jesus walk down to the warehouse, and uh, he invites them up, and. That's that's how the warehouse gets up there in the first place, which is a big deal because he didn't warn Jim and all the food that they have for this Christmas party is finger foods and whatnot. So they don't have food to provide for everybody once the warehouse starts digging in and eating the food and not necessarily sharing the food as well. So Michael is just ruining the party in all kinds of ways, aside from just dressing up as Jesus. He's also just uh, making decisions that aren't up to him and whatnot. So then Michael calls David Wallace. David tells Michael that the company has a buyer and they're likely going to clean house. Most people will be fired. Michael, of course, called him with the intention of, you know, just kind of crapping on this party, not necessarily talking about the company. But Michael, of course, at the Christmas party, lets this information slip. He misunderstands, or he assumes rather, he says that Dunder Mifflin is going out of business. And then he says, we've been sold. Everyone freaks out, of course. Jim says, well, wait, wait, we've been sold. That can mean a lot of different things. So the entire office gathers in Michael's office and collectively calls David Wallace on speakerphone. And he hesitantly confirms that, yes, this is true. But the Dunder Mifflin Scranton branch will not be fired. The company that's buying Dunder Mifflin is buying them because they want the distribution. The branches, specifically Scranton, are the things that are working. Management is what's not working. So they're firing management. Um, So they're safe. And they all proceed to celebrate on the phone with David, who, of course, will be fired. Michael (laughs) stage dives off his desk. Like, it's just fairly inappropriate that David is, like, losing his big, you know, fancy job. And everyone's just cheering. And it's like, congratulations. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Well, not even to mention the fact that Michael was proven once again that he's completely incapable of keeping a secret. And so that's what causes the panic because Michael is sharing a secret that he doesn't even have all the information to. And that's what causes him to call David again. And he's, he's like, well, fine. I'm just going to tell you what's happening because, again, you can't keep a secret. And one sweet thing that I think that Michael does do is that when he first hears this news from David about the company having a buyer... Uh, and he thinks that everybody's about to lose their jobs, he dresses down. He's back in his normal Michael clothes. He says, earlier, this office needed a Santa, and then it needed two Santas, and then it needed a Jesus. But now it needs a Michael, and that's one suit that Phyllis cannot fit into. <laughs> and so he he more or less apologizes. He refers to himself as a jerk. He doesn't say, I'm sorry. He doesn't actually call himself a jerk, but he says, a jerk ruined the party. And it's pretty heavily and uh, heavily alluded to that the fact that it was him and we know it was him um and he sends dwight with his debit card to go get pizza for everybody and before he accidentally lets his secret slip he says you know all of you are like my family ryan you're my son pam you're my wife and and jim and uh <laughs> and then uh angela and phyllis are his grandmas oscar uh this is an extended version he says oscar you just moved in next door because of urban renewal He's running out of options. And then this was in the original. Stanley, you're our mailman. Mailman, And he thinks, how could they do this to us? And that's, that's what lets it loose. So Michael just doesn't have any discretion. And well, maybe it wasn't a lack of discretion. It was just like 
a lack of awareness of what he was saying and how it could be interpreted. Yeah, and and a lack of um, tact. Like, this is not the time. Mm-hmm. And it's not even your information to give. Um, right. David told us to you, in confidence, wait. But we know Michael's not very good at waiting. Mm-hmm. And then, as you mentioned, he changed out of his costumes, um, his multiple costumes. And he goes and sits on Phyllis's lap. Phyllis is, I mean, caught, she's Santa. This isn't inappropriate. And he asks her <laughs> for an Xbox and a TV that's compatible with an Xbox. <laughs> and then, I believe, in an extended bit, he basically asks for her forgiveness. Which is really a, a, it's a sweet moment. And she, um, of course, forgives him. And yeah, kind of a crazy Christmas party. But I'm glad that it does end up on a happy note. Everyone's uh, enjoying each other's company. They're eating pizza. They're not fighting with each other. Michael apologizes to Phyllis. They're having a good time. Um, Dwight, and we'll talk about this in a second. uh, He's been getting machine parts all leading up to this episode and he doesn't know what they're building and we don't know who it's from because it's a secret Santa gift and it's revealed that it was a gift from Michael even though he was making fun of Dwight earlier in the episode for trying to assemble these parts but Michael gave him this gift it ends up being a nutcracker and it's just like the perfect gift for Dwight Dwight's so excited by all the different nuts he can crack and snails and clams and all that and Michael just sort of looks on and he he smiles it's like it shows to me that Michael does care about Dwight, at least sometimes, and he knows Dwight better than maybe he cares to admit, because he was able to get him a gift that means something to him. And then speaking of Secret Santa, Aaron has a fairly unfortunate gift for her for Secret Santa. She has been given the 12 Days of Christmas, which sounds all romantic and, and fun until you realize how many birds that is. It's, it's just a lot of birds. What is she supposed to do with all these birds? They start attacking her, scratching her face, tearing out her hair, and no one will come forward and say who's giving the gift, um, even when she specifically asks them to stop sending these things. It is revealed that it's Andy, um, and this is his sort of trying-to-be-romantic gesture, which turned a little bit dangerous. It's it's like he's finally making a real move on Aaron. We talked about before how he... He's expecting her to ask him out for some reason. And this is like him finally trying to do something to impress her, to gain her affection, whatever it may be. Uh, He apparently begged Dwight and Jim to give Aaron as his secret Santa recipient. And by the way, that must cost a fortune. Like, is he renting these birds and then reacquiring (laughs) them later? Or is he straight up buying them? Uh, and also just gifting animals to people is a bad idea in general. Um, yeah. He he approaches her, and I think this is an extended cut scene as well. He approaches her and says, you know, I know how that violent scratch across your eye feels because, hey, look, right here, this little tiny mark that's on my arm. When I was in fourth grade, uh, I was stabbed by a pencil by another student. And so, yeah, I, I know what it feels like. <laughs> and it, in that moment, he also admits or admits that he was her secret Santa. And it's like some awkward back and forth. Like they can, neither can decide if the other is joking or whatever. Cause she like slyly accuses him. Like, is it you? He's like, yeah, it's me. It's like, is it, it is it? Are you serious? Well, it, it's, it's the most awkward thing. And it's again, thanks to Michael when he's Jesus heckling <laughs> that uh, Aaron does find out that it was Andy. He says, you know, I thought you'd like it. And she says it was, it was a bit much. 
and he has a talking head saying, a gentleman would throw in the towel at this point, but you know what? <laughs> Not going to happen, which I don't think is exactly how he meant to phrase it. <laughs> but then, of course, lucky for him, or probably planned, the Christmas party falls on the 12th day of his gift giving, which is, of course, 12 drummers drumming. So as the office is leaving work, they're greeted by a drumline. Which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Of course, Andy is a dork and dances in front of them while they're drumming, but that's okay. Aaron seems to enjoy it. So that would be a pretty cool gift, but the rest of it was just birds and maids. <laughs> yeah, maybe next time use like origami or something. Yes, that's that a would be idea. much better. Stuffed animals, which Stuffed is still, oh, that'd be good. What do I do with these? <laughs> but yes, at least... They don't harm you. I just imagine like opening a closet door or her car door and all of a sudden she's <laughs> swarmed with stuffed animals or something. That'd be funny. Yes. Yeah. And way less expensive. And way less painful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably for him too, because he had to corral them, but whatever. <laughs> Dwight and Jim are working together, which is nice. Uh, Dwight has says that his diabolical plot is on hold for Christmas. At first he says, oh, it's because of the sound of children singing just melts my heart. And he laughs that away. Of course, it's not that. He says, you know, the days are shorter. I'm tired. Maybe I'm depressed. And I thought that was significant because it, it seems that he's maybe confronting what might have been haunting him for a long time. In some ways, since Money back in season four, when uh, Jim and Pam stayed at Shroot Farms and they heard him moaning in the middle of the night. And definitely since uh, The Duel when things officially ended between ended between him and Angela and Andy. So between things ending with Angela and then him not getting the promotion he wanted and the promotion going to Jim, things have been kind of tough for him. And it's, it's interesting that he seems to be aware of that fact that maybe this whole diabolical plot is a response to things not going so well for him. I kind of forgot that he and Jim were still in charge of the party planning committee. Mm -hmm. um, I think since lecture circuit is when that changeover happened and they've planned one or two parties since then. But this one, I'm always like, oh, right. It's been a while. Um, and they, especially Jim, um, has been given direction from David Wallace to kind of keep things light and morale high because the rumors of the company closing um, are dragging morale down, of course. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's it's nice to see them working together um, and kind of put that on hold for a little bit. Um, and they team up um, regarding the tree, which we'll get to right. in the funny moments, I'm sure. But they're they're on each other's side for today. And sort of closing off the, the, the depression part of Dwight in this episode. I mean, during the karaoke part, after the, the party really sets in, he's singing Green Day's Boulevard of Broken Dreams, which is like, <laughs> man, that's a dark song for Christmas. But you do you. There's also the Oscar storyline where Pam notices Oscar paying some extra attention to Matt, a new warehouse worker. He goes to deliver Matt's check, but he's not around. Daryl says that Oscar can leave with it. Daryl says that Oscar can leave it with him, but Oscar just says he'll wait. Um, everyone's kind of catching on. Oscar thinks Matt's cute. Pam has this bit which is pretty abbreviated in the uh, aired version and it is painfully long in the extended <laughs> where she tries to match them at the christmas party the one we see in the aired version is about the pate mm -hmm. oh this is oscar's pate do you like the pate have you met oscar oh you know um and then in the extended version it's oh oscar likes biking and classical films mostly french films right mm -hmm. that's all i'm gonna say 
oh, and classical music. And um, Oscar tries to be a little bit more cool. He goes, oh, and modern music, Radiohead. Matt likes Radiohead too, so that's good. Pam then just keeps pushing it and says, oh, we should all go to a concert together. Are we still doing that thing where we take new people from the office to a concert? Okay, that never happens. That's no. not a thing. Like, just stop, Pam. It's, I know you want them to be together, but it's just calm. <laughs> right. She has a talking head where she says, yes, they're the only two gay guys I know, but they deserve to be together or something to that effect. <laughs> and so she's trying to play matchmaker and they, they finally do get talking. And uh, it's like they're both playing disinterested with each other, even though they're both interested. Like, first... Matt gets Oscar's name wrong, and then at the end of the episode, when they're saying goodbye, uh, Oscar gets Matt's name wrong, and he turns to Pam, who's sort of giving him a look, and he says, I know what I'm doing, Pam. So, apparently, that's a, a way to attract people, is by pretending to forget their names and not caring. But You didn't know? I, I didn't. Maybe that's <laughs> why I'm single, but whatever. <laughs> Anything else from the episode? Uh... Character-wise, you wanted to mention. Nope, let's get into the funny stuff. So, during the cold open, well, there's a, a few bits from the cold open. First, that I wanted to mention, Ryan wants everyone to know that the uh, tree is nothing like the one at Rock Center. First of all, I don't know anyone who calls it Rock Center. No. Um, no. And that, of course, yes, obviously, this tree is nothing like the Rockefeller Center tree, because that one is, like... 70 to 100 feet tall and this your office has an eight foot ceiling so right. <laughs> yeah um and it's a fake tree and it's you can just hush like we know you've been to new york you're very cool and dwight and jim are like they've blanketed this tree and they're doing this big huge reveal and um dwight starts the countdown at 30 seconds like, <laughs> They said just all going so poorly, um, and then they remove the cover to reveal a fake, undecorated tree, which is just pretty disappointing. Yeah, they say they thought it'd be more fun to decorate it together as an office, uh, which, I mean, I, I agree. That, that'd probably be a good, like, fun thing to do together. But nobody's impressed, especially because it's a fake tree. Dwight says, yes, we are unveiling an artificial tree that will never die, like the spirit of Christmas. <laughs> and uh like, yes good yeah good with that. <laughs> everybody's like still arguing about it and dwight just shouts out this has been a successful unveiling <laughs> <laughs> but i also love how at the very beginning of the cold open he he's like shouting at everybody he says on behalf of jim and me merry christmas and jim just says too loud too, too loud Dwight says, but effective <laughs> look and sure enough everybody's looking at him <laughs> but i don't think you have to be that loud to get everybody's attention in that small office space michael in response to Phyllis as Santa says, you know, if this were Russia, yeah, sure. Everyone would go to one Santa and there would be a, a line around the block. And once you sat on her lap and she'd ask you what you wanted, you would say probably freedom, at which point the KGB would arrest you and send you to Siberia. It's a good thing Russia doesn't exist anymore. It's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> Dwight has that talking head that you mentioned. Well. You mentioned the story of him getting um, pieces to a machine for the last couple of weeks, um, which is a great idea for Dwight because A, it's something he gets to assemble and make, and, and, and B, it's a uh, uh, nutcracker. Mm -hmm. He, 
is suspicious of, of what he's assembling um, because he's had the exact same idea um, for catching Osama bin Laden. He would simply send bin Laden a different piece of a thing every day until he put it together and found himself in jail. Yeah. Genius. I, yeah. Because that would work mm-hmm. foolproof. That'd be a great idea. I'm just curious how he would send Bin Laden pieces of this if he doesn't know where he is, or if he does know where he is, why he's not sharing that information with the U.S. government. Dwight can handle it. <laughs> yeah, obviously. He's got it. I forgot uh, he, he's a CIA operative, right? Thanks oh, to, right, yeah. to Jim. <laughs> to Jim, that's right. Uh, I also love that like he, he's trying to uh, configure these pieces into something. And so he's, he's sort of taped it all or rubber banded it all together into something that resembles a gun. He says, you know, whoever is sending me this, I think you sent me a gear instead of a trigger. And no one agrees with him that it's a gun. Dwight says, well, I don't have all the pieces yet. <laughs> Stanley speaks up. He says, unless one of the missing pieces is a gun, you don't have a gun. <laughs> and so he crosses gun off his list and other options on this list include aardvark trap, beaver trap, chipmunk trap, Possum trap, skunk trap, lobster trap, man trap, lathe, and abdominizer. Yeah. <laughs> the obvious choices. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Kelly is sitting on Santa's, Phyllis's lap. Um, Dwight asks for her name. This is, by the way, uh, definitely an extended bit. Mm-hmm. Of course, Dwight knows Kelly's name. No need to ask. Phyllis asks what Kelly would like for Christmas. She says, I'd like the photographer, please. And of course, the photographer is Ryan. He says, we'll talk. <laughs> uh, I love this extended scene of Michael uh, when he's let Kevin sit on his lap because Phyllis won't let him do that. And after he's forced Kevin to stand up, he's like, there's an extended like 60 seconds of Michael just kicking his leg around because it has fallen asleep and it's absurd but it's perfect as a as an extended scene because you you just don't get any of that in the the actual episode and so he's like kicking a desk he's kicking the floor it's pretty funny trying to wake up his leg Mm -hmm. there's that Michael bit um again his his second far too sexual thing this episode where he says why pay more to sit next to old Tranny Claus over there when you can sit on my lap? Phyllis is only pretending to be a man. I'm the real thing. Sit on my lap and there will be no doubt. Oh, there are so many things wrong oh. with that whole paragraph. Tranny yeah. Claus, that's pretty offensive. Yeah. Ugh. And then that, that yeah. last bit. <laughs> and like it's iffy to even have a Santa in the office at all if you have to sit on their lap. Like it's just iffy to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, This is not it's not good no <laughs> uh when he first dresses as jesus he comes out into the office and toby just says it must be obvious to you how wrong this is and michael says this is even better because apparently it was improvised or part of it was improvised he says oh the antichrist and, and I, this is the part that was improvised according to the commentary when michael reaches out and touches toby on the forehead and goes like he's burning him or expelling him from the body. That was uh, Steve Carell improvisation. Yeah. There's an extended version of the talking head where, or sorry, there's an extended version talking head with Ryan. Um, he says, how do I feel about the warehouse guys showing up, at our, showing up at our Christmas party? Well, I could tell you, or I could show you. 
this is how I feel. And he takes his camera and he tries to take a selfie. But of course, it's a like a proper camera, so there's no screen. Um, and he completely misses the shot mm-hmm. and takes a picture of the ficus in the conference room right. rather than of his face. And he doesn't look at it. He just shows the camera. Right. <laughs> his face is just like He's in the bottom so corner pre- part of it. Yeah. He's so pretentious. <laughs> it's so much fun. I love when uh, Michael calls David. He says, David, guess who I'm sitting here dressed as. David says, I am not going to guess. You can tell me or I will hang up. <laughs> Michael <laughs> says, I'll give you a hint. His last name is Christ. He has the power of flight. He can heal leopards. I'm Jesus, David. And you know why? Because Phyllis, a woman, has usurped my role as Santa. <laughs> he can heal leopards. Praise Jesus. His last name is Christ? No, it's not. <laughs> he has the power of flight? No, I mean. Yeah, I only guess. Only if he wanted to. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> He's not known for his power of flight, let's put it that way. And no, he can. I mean, yes, he can heal leopards, but only if he wants to. Right. He- Again, heal leopards. For his power. <laughs> heal leopards, I think, is my favorite one. Because he yeah. obviously means lepers, but leopards is just so much funnier. I love and that. you slurp. All those famous sick leopards in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> I love Michael as the MC for the Secret Santa gift exchange. Mm. Um, he's, he's still dressed as Jesus, and he's just so passive aggressive and just ambivalent towards this whole thing. He's just kind of speaking like this and just like, Oh, what's Dwight going to get? What is it? Oh, yes, it's space garbage. Dwight's going to be able to build himself a friend. (laughs) Deck the halls with crappy gifts. And then Phyllis gives Stanley his gift. Oh, ho, ho, you've been a very good, you've been very good this year. Michael says, yeah, except for cheating on your wife, a little Teresa sin, look it up in the Bible, people. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, Stanley gets candles, and Michael says, that's appropriate. Because you're going to hell, so you you need to get used to fire. Yeah. It's just, I just love that whole bit. It's really awful, though. H-E-L-L, double hockey sticks, you're going to hell, Stanley. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> after he has talked to David and thinks everybody's getting fired and losing their jobs, he's gathered everybody in the conference room and he says, Christmas isn't about Santa or Jesus. It's about the workplace. And Jim says, the opposite of what you just said is true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And maybe last one I wanted to mention. Uh, We learn Michael's surefire way of getting patched through to David when David doesn't want to speak to Michael. He says, he told me where his kids go to school. So I call the school. I tell them I'm I'm the the kid's pediatrician. They patch me through to his secretary. I use my little girl voice. Bada bing, bada boom. (laughs) (laughs) Bada bing, bada boom. (laughs) And so we see, or we hear David answer the phone. What's up, sweetie? What is it? It's not your, it's not your daughter. It's Michael Scott or something. He just tricks everyone and, into putting him through. And David is livid. But then Michael interrupts yeah. saying, oh, by the way, the whole branch is on the phone with you. Ugh. Oof. There's an extended karaoke scene of Boulevard of Broken Dreams where Andy starts scatting along to Boulevard of Broken Dreams, as one does to punk songs and Green Day and whatnot. And Dwight joins him, beatboxing. So that's fun. Uh, (laughs) Kelly is super excited about the Twilight poster from Jim, which I love. And I think it shows that Jim maybe knows a little bit more about Kelly than he'd care to admit, knowing that 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 gift would go over so well with her. Madge is highlighted in the extended version of the episode from the warehouse. Oh, yeah. Um, When they first come up, 
they raid the warehouse guys raid the finger food spread and they say watch out garfield and apparently garfield is referring to madge because she's never seen a lasagna and not eaten the whole pan uh pam made the lasagna and so jim says i wish he wouldn't and madge says i can't help myself can you imagine what it's like for me that it has that power over me and then later there's an additional scene where we see her in the background in the conference room holding up the tin to her face, just like scarfing it down while all the others cheer. Garfield, Garfield, it's bad. And sorry, last one, <laughs> uh, because I have to mention Creed. Uh, Phyllis, as Santa is saying, it's going to be a very jolly time if you've been good. Creed says, what if you've been bad? Phyllis said, nothing but a lump of coal for you. Creed. What if you've been really, really bad, like more evil than strictly wrong? Jim says, hey, Creed, we covered it. Lump of coal. And there was one more Creed moment, and it's just literally a moment where Jim is voiceovering, talking about how he asked everyone to bring their favorite food. And so we see Creed with a giant can of unheated baked beans, and he just dumps it into a bowl on the table. So that's that's Creed's favorite food is uncooked, unheated baked beans. So there were no, as we said, deleted scenes provided because they were all in the uh, director's cut. We did get a commentary, though, with Mindy Kaling, Ellie Kemper, and Claire Scanlon. So they refer again to the act break alley whenever Michael makes an announcement in front of his office. There's almost always a uh, an act break immediately after, and that holds true for this episode as well. This is um, directly after Michael puts his Santa hat in the punch, which is another funny moment I wanted to mention. Um, when Phyllis refuses to uh, to give up being Santa, he takes off his hat, dunks it in the punch bowl, and like really makes sure it gets in there. And then, sure enough, act break. Um, I keep forgetting to like take a mental note every time he's out there in front of the office. I mean, there's so many, or in front of his office. It happens so often, but it does seem like after everyone, there's an act break. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mindy said that the scene where Kevin sits on Michael's lap was the hardest scene to not break character during. And uh, the the back and forth, was it you? The the one that I mentioned that was really awkward between Andy and Aaron. Uh, apparently it went on for much longer than we even saw in the producer's cut. And it was mostly or totally improvised by Ellie Kemper and Ed Helms. Ellie noted how hard it was to tell if Steve was actually mad in this episode or not, <laughs> because his acting was just so good. So she was just very wary and concerned the whole time because he just seems so annoyed. But he wasn't mad. He was just good. Right, just good. Um, the Nutcracker bit, uh, that, that whole sort of sub-story, was a late addition, and she said it was written by Charlie Grandy and Aaron Schur. And uh, Ellie Kemper asked, you know, how, how do these additional story scenes, how do these like script rewrites work in terms of who gets credit for what and stuff? And really, they have like the table read. Mindy clarified there's a table read. And then um, they decide oh maybe we wanted a little bit of this or a little bit of this or we want to change this and so two people or three people will go off and work on something additional or work on some changing something and then they'll reconvene and then they'll film that and so that's how the nutcracker bit was added in later but the main writer of the episode writes what the table read is Mm -hmm. reading so they'll write an entire episode um and then there are bits added later who may be written by other people Mindy said that Gene and Lee, at the time of recording this commentary, no longer worked for The Office. So I guess we're losing two of our guys, which is a super bummer. Yeah, I didn't know that that would be happening. Neither. 
because they're even like producers at this point in the show. So yeah, I don't know if we've already. Maybe they're not writing. We'll find out. Yeah, I, I don't know if we've already had their last episode. We'll have to look that up. Yeah. The day that they filmed the speakerphone scene with David, they said was the same day that the episode Niagara aired, the wedding. Uh, and they were all trying to sort of finish up so that they could leave and go over to Greg Daniels' house in order to watch Niagara air. So that was pretty fun that they were trying to finish filming The Office so that they could go and watch The Office together. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Ellie and Mindy both thought that the guy that played Matt looked really similar to Ellie. Um, so much so that they thought that people would be a little bit like put off by it or freaked out or meant to like make that connection. I didn't. Um, I kind of see what they're talking about, but they really, really thought that it might be a problem. Yeah, I, I see the resemblance after they mention it, but I never would have thought that if I hadn't at least maybe seen them side by side in the episode and that never really happens. Yeah. Uh, last for me, uh, the drummers that they used for the 12 drummers drumming at the end were from a local like successful high school uh group so that was pretty cool they said they were there all day and they were really patient and they were really sweet and they did a really good job so and last one for me perfect number um (laughs) mindy says that there was a secret controversial ending to this episode that she'll never talk about but that greg daniels loved so go ask greg when you meet him. apparently yeah (laughs) discussion topic what do you got what's up with michael's need and it really feels like a need here to be santa why i mean well i mean the past christmas episodes not everyone but when there's been a santa it's been michael uh remember was it christmas party in season two when daryl tried to borrow the hat or something uh and michael wouldn't even let them do that because have you seen santa daryl he's obviously not black Mm -hmm. so uh this isn't the first time we've had the the issue of Santa's identity and what he's supposed to look like and who he's supposed to be. Uh, but he, he says in the episode that it's somewhat about tradition. This is potentially the last Christmas they have together as a company. And so he doesn't want to break tradition here at the very end. And so I think that's a large part of it. Um, and it actually sort of relates to the question I'll be asking for Saber, uh, which is why is Michael so opposed to change? So we can even talk about that more later. Yeah, I um I think you hit the the nail on the head there. Um I don't think he would have cared so much except that the company is in hot water right now and this could be their last time that they celebrate Christmas together. Mm-hmm. So, um I think even more so than tradition, like he wanted to be at the center of what was happening with his people, you know, and he just he kind of wanted to be Santa one last time for them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um Plus, yeah, he totally has a Santa complex right. <laughs> and what, what Santa can be. So uh, the, the idea of a female Santa is just like crazy. Right. Well, going on to our next episode, we've got The Banker. It aired on January 21st of 2010, was directed by Jeffrey Blitz and written by Jason Kessler. An investment banker is stopping by Scranton to sign off on the branch uh, for the new buyers. So Michael is trying to impress him as best he can. He coaches his employees to paint the office in a positive light. Basically, this episode is just a series of flashbacks or a clip show, so we won't linger on it too much. But um, there are a couple things that happen that are worth noting, but basically it's just a series of flashbacks. Yeah, just going over a few things. Uh, the banker himself, his name is Eric. He is played by David Costabile, who I know mostly from Breaking Bad. He was, in, he was Gail Bedecker in Breaking Bad. 
uh, if you needed to put a face to a name. Uh, some of the cosmetic changes that Michael has made to sort of make it more appealing. Uh, there's Dwight as Computron, which is like a really slow, crappy Siri or Alexa. Uh, sort of like his intern. He used the interns as a like a carrier pigeon service as opposed to instant messaging. Like he just comes up with crappy versions of ex- existing technologies. Uh, but anyways, there's that. <laughs> Michael's on a Segway for reasons. Uh, he never leaves the front of his office. So there's really no purpose. Um, Andy announces that they're now the official paper provider of the NFL. And Michael's response is, it's good, but it's not good enough. <laughs> and then Computron gives unasked for stats about the NFL. And there's some more if you want to mention those. It should be noted that Michael is currently Dunder Mifflin's highest ranking employee. Mm-hmm. Which is terrifying, um, <laughs> since there's no one left in New York. So, like, let, let let that sit in that Michael is at the top of the company at this moment. He replaces his car with a sports car for the day, um, and he calls himself Employee of the Month in his parking spot. <laughs> I thought we described. I thought we went over this, Michael. You cannot be Employee <laughs> of the Month. Pam is now the international sales consultant. Mm. You know, for all of their international clients. Mm-hmm. And she proves um, it by saying hello in like four languages. <laughs> Bonjour. <laughs> Ni hao. <laughs> yeah, so those are the big cosmetic changes. Uh, Toby, as HR rep, lies to the banker about any outstanding liabilities, sexual assault stuff. Um, if people are generally happy, Toby says, I don't want to lie and I don't want to tell the truth. <laughs> so he ends up lying. <laughs> Michael has also replaced Stanley with a younger, thinner, more attractive black man. Uh, just wanted to mention that as well. Uh, a much happier Stanley. Yeah. By the way, Eric, the the banker, he he says he's basically just a fact checker. He's checking on outstanding liability issues. He's confirming inventory. He's getting a head count. He's not even remotely interested in Michael or the performance that Michael's putting on for him. He just sort of wants to do the job and leave. And I just love... This this sort of it's not a montage, uh, but this scene where he's talking with Toby and trying to get information, and so to- Toby just gives all these noncommittal answers. Safety? Are there any safety issues or injuries? And he says nothing comes to mind. And then we get a montage of safety issues and injuries. Are people generally happy? And Toby says, "What does it mean to be happy?" Keep philosophers talking for a while, and he, Eric just says, "Generally." And Toby says, "Yeah, yeah, generally." <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then what about non-safety issues like sexual harassment? He just says, I don't know. I don't know. But you're the head of human resources. And then we get a montage of sexual harassment scenes, including a short barrage of that's what she said jokes, mostly told by Michael. That's pretty much the gist of the plot of the episode. Mm-hmm. There were two funny moments I wanted to mention that weren't from actual flashbacks. Right. Um, one you touched on with the um, happier, thinner, fake Stanley. Mm-hmm. There's a Pam talking head. She says, for the record, not on board with fake Stanley. Although, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Michael has apparently made dinner arrangements or lunch arrangements with him and the banker to go to Cooper's, which is a local seafood place. He says, they make the best Maine lobster in the world. Here is <laughs> Grand PA, the best Maine lobster. Yeah, sure. <laughs> And my last one of, of my two is Michael regarding giving the office a facelift. He's a talking head. He says, well, think of it this way. When you look in the mirror and you see your push-up bra and your fake eyelashes and your makeup and your press-on nails, 
the principles that I am applying to the office are the same ones that have made Lady Gaga a star or any number of drag queens. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Yeah. I, I like when Michael says, this company doesn't waste time or resources ever. And we immediately cut to the scene where Dwight and Michael raided accounting and threw their papers everywhere. (laughs) And then there's another moment where he says, uh, this is a building where friends become lovers and lovers become sexually interactive. Wouldn't you agree with that? He asks as he turns to Toby. Toby says, I don't think that's appropriate. Michael actually agrees (laughs) with him. Yeah, I think you're right. Probably. and as for all the the scenes and the montages we do get, it it is mostly stuff from the episodes. I think there were a couple or a few things that were from deleted scenes. One that stands out, I'm pretty sure Dwight launching his potato through Daryl's office window was a deleted scene, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. During, uh, is it safety training? It sounds right. Um, I always trust you when it comes to that <laughs> stuff. Your recall on that's way better. And there's there's lots of other great things to relive. Some not so great things. There's this whole Jim Pam montage where we see a lot of the pre-Jim and Pam, Jim and Pam, uh, where it's lots of those painful moments of Jim looking on at Roy and Pam and vice versa. And then we do get to the first date and then the proposal and then the wedding. And so it does end really happy. And my favorite part, and this is sort of the last thing for me is that we get the scene from local ad where the group is singing the theme song that Daryl wrote for the branch. And it's accompanied by a short montage of the employees of the office being buddies and getting along with each other. And it's a really happy moment. And ending with lazy Scranton isn't half bad either. (laughs) (laughs) Two deleted scenes I wanted to mention. We only got a couple or a few. Um, we see the, quote, creative think space that Michael has implemented for the office. Google has one, too, he says. Uh, this is in the conference room. It has an ideas board where Oscar and Ryan are bouncing ideas and bouncy balls off of. And Angela is knitting sweaters for kittens. I am on board with that. I, I, <laughs> I could get behind that for an office. And Dwight, as Computron, tries to get Angela to give over the one of the kittens to Eric. <laughs> um. You have enough, he says. Uh, they do more things to try and impress Eric uh, during the deleted scenes. Aaron had two messages for Michael. The first is that a governor called, not the governor, a governor called and said, thank you. Michael said to respond with, I told you so. And the second one is from the Treasury Department. Apparently Dunder Mifflin paper is being used for counterfeit money. That's how good it is. <laughs> yeah. um, there's an awkward interaction between Michael and Eric. As Eric is returning from his time with Toby um, in the annex, Michael says that Toby's a liar, don't listen to him, and he's divorced. Eric says, I'm divorced. Michael says, oh, yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, he's just trying to win over Eric. Yeah, and before that, and this is the last one I have, uh, Eric is in the the main part of the office, and he says, this is supposed to be a 3,000 square foot office complex or whatever uh, but i only see two thousand. is is the rest back there and he points at the annex michael says nope nothing back there it is an abyss a uh, total total waste so he's trying to avoid the confrontation between eric and toby but he doesn't hold it off so and there's no discussion topic for this episode because there's really nothing to discuss okay moving on to 
I don't even want to say the name of this episode because <laughs> it's just funnier if we don't, but let's go ahead. Saber. Okay. It aired on February 4th of 2010, was directed by none other than John Krasinski, who is now, of course, a super famous director, but uh, this was his first directorial effort, uh, at least for TV. So that's really cool. Yeah. And it was written by Jen Salata. The day has come. Dunder Mifflin has been bought out by a company called Saber. Saber. <laughs> and today, a representative called Gabe is coming to Scranton to introduce himself and the company. Michael, who at first appears to be excited by these changes, quickly becomes annoyed and shocked at the number of changes that will be made. Michael appears to be hoping to have a similar relationship with Gabe that he did with David Wallace. Uh, this sort of changes once Gabe lists all the changes, and we know Michael isn't a fan of change. It's the same thing that happened when Charles stepped in, and that's what led to the Michael Scott Paper Company. He says, there's a small part of me that is actually very excited about this new company, but 70% of me is water. And the other part, the real part, the part that has feelings and emotions and thoughts and makes decisions and, if I can be crass, makes babies, that part <laughs> thinks that all of these changes suck ball and then it cuts out <laughs> Cuts off. <laughs> so he approaches gabe and lets him know how much he dislikes all these changes and it doesn't necessarily go the way he wanted it to you're absolutely right there are some big ties here between um the beginnings of the michael scott paper company and this episode um it looks like he could jettison again like he could run because he is similarly upset as he was when he met um, Charles. So the first thing that really gets him is that Saber's main sales actually come from printers, not paper. So Gabe says, imagine that now instead of being paper salesman, you are actually a printer salesman. You also sell paper. He just cuts to Michael having a talking head. He says, nope, don't like that. <laughs> uh, which is a pretty famous gif that goes around. He also learns that they all only get two weeks of paid time off social networking is blocked they can't i mean and then he gets really petty they can't use the paper cups that he likes to use anymore they gave out aluminum bottles to use instead so it's just thing after thing after thing that these changes he just really he wants everything to stay as it is when he talks to gabe and gabe says you know i'm sorry but it's policy it's above my pay grade michael says well let's let's talk to somebody higher up then let's get the boss on the phone because michael's used to having that direct line to corporate. And he had David Wallace in his pocket. And before that, he had Jan in more than his pocket. Um, <laughs> and here, Gabe is more just like an intermediary. So there's not really much he gets by uh, talking to Gabe. So again, sort of like Charles. Gabe gets Joe Bennett, the CEO of the company, who is played by actress Kathy Bates. Uh, so that's cool that we have a sort of big Hollywood, not huge Hollywood name, but a Hollywood name nonetheless in the cast of the show. And Gabe is talking with her and then Michael gets talking with her and he says, you know, the changes suck. Uh, frankly, I think the way we did things before was fine. And you know what? I can't handle all these changes. So Michael's thinking that they're going to sort of bend to his rules or to his whims just because he's been there longer. I don't know exactly what his plan was, but Joe says, okay, how about this? If by the end of the day, you decide you truly can't handle these changes, let Gabe know. And Michael says, well, I've already told him, and if it would make you happy, I will tell him again. And Joe says, I would take until the end of the day if I were you. <laughs> and so the, the very heavy implication he, uh, here is that 
fine. You can't handle these changes. I'll find somebody else to do your job for you. Yeah. Um, she basically tells him to deal mm-hmm. with it. Um, it's, she is a tough lady and she's not going to bend. Um, she makes that pretty clear, um, on their Skype call. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, she's in, in uh, Florida. So Michael being very frustrated with this whole situation leaves the office and goes to visit David Wallace, who is very recently fired and is not doing well being recently fired. And um, also, what's David going to do about this? He doesn't work for the company, but Michael wants his opinion on how to handle it. So, yeah, as I said, David's not doing so great. First things first, he's excited to see Michael. That's not a good sign. <laughs> Michael's even surprised by that. Yeah. He's, oh, hi. Um, he's eating marshmallow fluff sandwiches. Mm-hmm. He has nothing to do till next Thursday. And his wife commented that he had shoes on, so he didn't know if maybe he had done something that day. Um, He's hot tubbing and drinking beer in the middle of the day. I mean, he's like not an exec dude anymore. He is definitely stay-at-home David now. Um, And David really has very little interest in talking about what's going on. Um, He just, he's left that world and he's pretty sunken in his his home now. Mm -hmm. And... He he does have a business proposition for Michael. Uh, it's a vacuum-like shop vac that helps kids learn to pick up their toys. He's called it Suck It. Or something like that. I don't remember exactly how the sound goes, but he does it a few times. And it's pretty clear that Michael just sort of pities David. Uh, he doesn't really recognize him as the David he remembers. He says, there are very few things that would make me not want to team up with David Wallace and suck it is one of them. <laughs> he also says, well, that's not the David Wallace that I remember. Uh, that is some sort of weird creature that lives in David Wallace's house. <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, he's actually convinced to give Saber a shot after seeing the shape that David's in. Because I think it's because he doesn't want to end up like mm-hmm. David, which is something before today he never would have thought or said. Right. Because David is a super successful, suave guy. He's got everything together. He's got a great, beautiful family, beautiful house, great job. And today, Michael's entire perception of him came crashing down because he's just kind of in a rough spot right now. And um, Michael does not want to end up like that unemployed. So. He decides when he goes back to the office, like it's sort of a 180. I mean, he's like, okay, let's, let's take this seriously. Let's use our aluminum bottles. I mean, he's, he's really trying to um, give this a fair shot. Yeah. So in a way it was a successful trip because it does help him to sort of get past, get past this notion that things can't change. So yeah, I mean, even if it's pity for David that does it, he, he gets out of his funk. And so he's bought orange juice. Uh, for everybody to drink every out of their their metallic cans, and uh, I, I wanted to read this whole sort of speech just real quick. He says, "Well, I'm not really one for making speeches," and everybody's like, "Yes, yes, you are. You you make a lot." <laughs> Michael says, "But I feel pretty good right now. I really do. A lot better than I did earlier. Let me tell you." Angela says, "That's your toast." No, this is my toast. I think this whole thing with Saber is going to work out. I have a very good feeling about it. Phyllis, Michael, this isn't a toast. You're just thinking out loud. Here's my toast. Orange juice is in here. And like Saber, it is from Florida and it is good. <laughs> and then Kevin speaks up and says, just because you have liquid, that doesn't make it a toast. Michael says, here's a toast. I'm going to do it now. 
Razor Container to us and to Saber. To us and to Saber. And then they all take a drink. And of course, the the acid of the uh, orange juice is sort of reacting with the the metallic nature of the the cans, the bottles. And he's like, ugh, that is metallic-y. <laughs> Drinking a battery <laughs> really gets you in the fillings, doesn't it? Ugh, you can taste that now, just thinking yeah. about it. <laughs> but anyways, that's that's Michael in this episode. There's a small Jim and Pam, Jim and Pam, nice Jim and Pam plot that I have to admit I'm not a big fan of, but it should be mentioned. Um, they have an interview at a nearby highly rated daycare. Um, next to the office, walking distance. But when they get to the uh, to the interview, they're a little bit early. They take a little look around, and Jim peeks into the restroom to walk in on the interviewer in the bathroom. And he was so weird about it that they kind of blew their chance at getting into the daycare. Um, that's sort of the whole thing, but that doesn't seem like a good reason to reject someone, but it kind of just seemed like the interviewer... Maybe just wasn't a fan of theirs anyway. In fact, he even says, maybe you're just not as charming as you think you are. Mm, yeah. So that's that's mostly that whole beeline. Yeah, I mean, that, that pretty much sums it up. I mean, Jim absolutely should have knocked on the bathroom door. Uh, but, you know, maybe a lock on the door isn't such a bad idea. He claims it's for the child's safety. But, I mean, as long as they have a key readily available, I don't see why it would be an issue. Yeah. Um, like put it high yeah, or just keep it on your person or something. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah. anyways, Jim, after this goes into super awkward mode. And so I didn't know, do you think this guy, his name's Jerry turns him down because, because Jim walked in on him or is it because Jim made it worse by making it awkward afterwards? Cause by all appearances, he sort of seems fine when he first greets him after coming out of the bathroom, but Jim's the one who's not fine. I don't know. I mean, it seems to be kind of a combination of Jim making it worse by being awkward. And Jerry also doesn't like the fact that they kind of assumed that they would get in mm-hmm. to the daycare um, by being like, hey, how how strict are your vacation days or something? He was asking about, like, changing around the schedule. Mm-hmm. And Jerry says, whoa, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. You're not in yet. And you're asking about changing the schedule. Which I don't think that that's a crazy question. Like, if we were to get in, how flexible are you? Whatever. Yeah. But um, he just, I just don't think he liked him, frankly. Yeah, fair point. I mean, I guess not everybody is into the whole Jim Pam charm, but those people, I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. sad. Nope. Bye. <laughs> uh, I did want to mention <laughs> at the very start of the episode, Jim is pretty insistent when meeting Gabe that he is equal to Michael in power and responsibility. Despite Michael first describing him as his protege, Michael says, I am the co-manager and this is my protege, Jim. Which I don't know if he was going to call Jim his protege. Why not just call himself manager? But in any case, Jim's being firm. And last thing I wanted to mention really for character development stuff was Andy and Aaron. Um, just a little thing, but Aaron cannot wait to see what Andy does to top the drumline thing. It's going to be great. However, Andy is excited for her to make a move since he did the drumline thing, the balls in her court. So again, the balls are just in each other's courts and no one's doing anything. That's the worst. And that's that. Yeah. Make a move. Yeah, there's nothing really else to say about there. There's, There's even when Andy approaches her and he's like, so you got any fun plans this weekend? She says, nope. He says, me neither. Got nothing going on. 
and they just sort of go back and forth a couple times Ooh. and it's like yeah they've both established that they have no plans this weekend and then they leave it at that and neither does anything <laughs> they're both smiling anticipatorily is that a word sure like okay you're gonna uh, and that one does and it's just the worst if you want someone go after them oh my goodness it is <laughs> just ugh. make life better for everyone <laughs> Uh, we didn't have much to say about Gabe, but we do get to, to know him more later. I don't want to say too much because it's my, what I have to say about him is probably colored by what I know about him already. Uh, he is, his official title is the coordinating director for merging regions. And, uh, when he's talking to Joe, he does seem to be a little bit nervous. It's almost like he's trying to prove himself. He's like, I said things exactly the way you wanted me to. And I told that story about you and your cousin really, really well. You should have should have heard it. It was like it's like he's trying to impress his mother or whatever. Um, so that's all about Gabe. And I have two miscellaneous things that like real brief yeah. before we get to in, get into the funny stuff. Uh, first, Pam's painting of the office is back. It's next to Michael's office. Um, I guess she repainted it because even as recent as in the banker. I've been sort of keeping an eye on it. In, in, in the banker, it was still the golf made it motivational poster. But in this episode, the painting was back. So I guess she repainted it. I'm not sure. Nice. I had no recollection of that being back. Mm-hmm. So nice. And then one last thing. Nick, who we only see in the background, he doesn't have any speaking in this one. He's the IT guy who is setting up internet blockers on their computers. Uh, he is making his second appearance as his second character in the show, he was also the graphics design guy back in Job Fair who Pam talked to back in season four. Yeah. So just a fun mm-hmm. fact. Not the same character, same actor, though. Some funny moments. So at the beginning of the episode, Michael and the office receive a box. Um, they assume, or really Michael assumes, it is for him, for them. So he opens it impulsively and, ooh, goody, it's office supplies. It's um, a scanner and, oh gosh. A printer and a, a fax machine. Printer, yeah, fax machine. So he just distributes this stuff willy-nilly and takes the scanner for himself and puts it in his office and gets a note later. Oh, by the way, this is for Gabe, who will be joining you later today. Um, so, oops, he has to put everything back in the box. Unfortunately, he has ripped the box uh, pretty much in half. And <laughs> Dwight has, says he opened it um, like an ape. <laughs> yeah. So Michael reveals this by saying, okay, everyone, listen up. I have some bad news. Due to circumstances beyond my control, Dwight interrupts and says, impulsivity and inattention to detail. <laughs> um, so they basically have to reconstruct this box and they cannot get everything to fit they try many times and it's just not working um and when they eventually do get it they tape it up they cheer and then michael's phone rings guess where it is yeah way to go michael he's like <laughs> we, we did it once we can do it again <laughs> oh. uh, there were two other small things in the cold open i wanted to mention there's uh michael first opening the box and he says aaron scissor me and so she tosses <laughs> scissors in his direction and he catches them like open and blades down in his hand and it pam just the the camera looks over at pam and she's horrified that scissors were just thrown and caught this way and then he does it again later in the episode or later in the cold open and she tries to stop it that time but she is still unsuccessful as he fumbles catching the scissors flying at him uh and let's maybe not let the pregnant woman try to 
yeah, cap scissors. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and then the other small moment I wanted to mention: um, Oscar and Pam are still trying to figure out how to repack the box, and they tried a couple couple different ways. And Creed speaks up to save the day. He says, "Have you tried making everything smaller?" Genius. There it is. The one thing they didn't try. That would work. Yeah. However, scanning a full size of people. A full-sized piece of paper on a miniature scanner would be difficult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dwight, I love this. I forgot how much I love this. Dwight approaches Gabe as soon as Gabe walks in the room for the first time with a tray of hot dogs. And it's like too many hot dogs. <laughs> it's a lot of hot dogs. <laughs> would you like a Scranton hot dog from Scranton? When Michael tells Dwight to give Gabe a minute, Dwight doesn't know what to do or where to put the hot dogs. So he just kind of bumps around for far too long until he finally decides to put them on the ground and just kind of at Gabe's feet. And then he backs away. <laughs> <laughs> like, he just has no idea what to do. It's so funny. Uh, perhaps the funniest moment for me in the whole episode is, you know, the cold, cold open. They refer to the company's new owners as Sabre, spelled S-A-B-R-E. And we don't know it's wrong until Gabe shows up and pronounces it correctly. Sabre. And it's right before Andy and Aaron are singing a rendition of Miley Cyrus's Party in the USA. And so Gabe says Sabre, just casually, because he's used to saying it the correct way. And Michael says, Sabre. And everybody remembers, yes, Sabre, Sabre, Sabre. There it is. (laughs) And then Andy and Aaron start their song, and Gabe's recording it for the company website. And they just can't stop themselves pronouncing it Sabre, because it rhymes with USA. And other words in the song, Sabre just doesn't fit in as well as the planned Sabre. And after they've made the mistake a couple times and sort of stumbled over it, Gabe just like, yeah, I'm not recording this or posting it anywhere. And then Andy finishes saying, are, are you sure it's not Sabre? It'd be really better if it was. I would like to reiterate how much I love sucking. Oh, yep. Um, it is pro- it's one of my favorite bits from the entire office. I quote it all the time, especially the song. Yeah. Suck it. Suck it. Suck it, suck it, put it in the sucker dance, suck it, suck it. No joke, I wrote in my notes, it is one of the underrated gems from The Office. It is one of my most quoted moments, uh, including his son, Teddy, going suck it in his higher pitched voice all the time, Katie. With the yeah. drums. Suck it. just drums. Suck it. Oh, he's like angrily beat. It's just so funny. Um, I'm glad you appreciate that as much as I do. Oh, it's one of my favorite things. And... It's yeah, it's very underappreciated unless it's not and just no one talks about it. But if so, this needs to be a much bigger deal because it's my yes. favorite. Uh, I love or it's I don't love it. It's weird that Christian Slater is the host of the Sabre intro video. It's like, so you've just been bought out by Sabre. Uh, it's almost like one, they buy out enough companies that it's necessary to make an introduction video like this. And two, it's like. Christian Slater is probably the highest profile celebrity they could afford, which is to say not super high profile. It's just like the most random choice. It's like getting Sue Grafton to show up to promote your your event or what. I don't even remember exactly what the situation was, but Mike. Oh, it was for the local ad, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. At the steam town. And so it's it's that random. And it's it's just so awkward. At one point during the video, he says, have you ever tasted a rainbow? At Saber, you will. (laughs) And just how nonsensical that video was. Yeah. It was just, it didn't answer any questions. It didn't really say what the company was about or what they'd be doing. And then Jim has a talking head afterwards. He says, so you've been shown a nonsensical video. 
you're probably wondering what's going on. Well, you're not right, alone. and he's doing that like <laughs> southern panhandle accent too. Yeah, <laughs> it's just truly bad. Uh, Michael says, "I miss the old Dunder Mifflin. Too much change is not a good thing. Ask the climate." <laughs> uh, I think that's it for me. Uh, there was one last thing for me. Jim makes a small joke. Him and Pam have a joint talking head talking about this daycare they're excited to go interview at. And they talk about, uh, Jim says, you know, if, if we don't get in, there's always the army. And he says, the infantry. <laughs> because Pam has sort of been looking at him quizzically, like, what does that even mean? And he says, the infantry. She just goes, okay. Okay, like, I am so exasperated with you because that was the worst joke I've ever heard in my life. But he's got to start early on the dad jokes. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> Just prepping. All right. What's our discussion topic? So as I alluded earlier, uh, my discussion topic is almost a continuation of yours unintentionally. And it's just, nice. what is it about Michael that is so opposed to changes? Um, I mean, to me, the only change made by Saber and Gabe that really might be arguable is the whole vacation days thing. Uh, he says they get two weeks and Oscar's like, well, I booked, I've already got six weeks banked and Angela's like, I've already booked a cruise. So it's throwing a wrench in existing plans and I can understand some backlash to that, but everything else is like pretty tiny, not a big deal. Some of it is kind of like actually good change, like the whole getting rid of paper plastic cups thing. So like, what is it about Michael that we see time and time again, he's struggling so much to deal with these changes. Before we get into that, I'd like to completely show my envy for Oscar's six weeks of paid vacation. Yeah, no kidding. What is that? Okay. I wonder if he anyway. just didn't use all the vacation that he was given back yeah. in season two after diver- or yeah after um uh the uh yeah I'm trying to remember yeah. the name of the episode this, where where my gay witch hunt him. yeah yeah um they must have rollover yeah but why is Michael so opposed to change? I've got an answer that I'm really proud of, but I want to hear yours first. <laughs> oh, your answers are always really thought out. I think it's because, and I think we probably answered this on a recent discussion topic, but I think it applies okay. here. He doesn't have a lot of control in his personal life. He doesn't have a whole lot in his personal life. Um, and so he, his whole life is work at this point. Um, in the past, he's had some other activities, improv, stuff like that. But right now, we don't see a whole lot of social life. So the, the office is everything for him. And Saber buying out Dunder Mifflin, um, while they're still called Dunder Mifflin, they're sort of not the same company anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's just a huge upheaval of his life and his day-to-day. And when that is your whole life, like he's just losing control of everything. Mm-hmm. That sort of does yeah. touch on what my answer sort of is, is I wonder if this all goes back to him being a child of divorce, honestly, um, because mm. before the divorce, he had a mom and a dad. And then after the divorce, he had a stepdad named Jeff and he didn't have friends. I don't know exactly when in his life this divorce happened, but uh from the beginning, he didn't have a whole lot of control over his life. And so that's feeding into what you're saying as well. It's just Michael has had a long, hard life of hardship, of being teased, of being different than other people, of having dreams that he's not, that he's frankly not aspiring to, or he's not reaching quite yet in his life and he's approaching 50. Uh, so 
when he gets in a rut and he finds something that he enjoys, he wants to stay there and he wants to enjoy the way things have been and uh, things changing, maybe just sort of flashbacks to that time in his childhood when he lost his dad and got the stepdad instead. And we know he's not very fond of Jeff. So uh, I don't know. That's, that's sort of what I thought of. Well, that brings us, I believe, to the end of our 61st episode of American Workplace. You can contact us at facebook.com slash workplacepod or at workplacepod on Twitter. If you care to rate, review, and subscribe, you can do so on Apple Podcasts. And you can email feedback and ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. The best place to find me is also on Twitter at chadadada, that is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A, also facebook.com slash chad.hopkins, and I've got another podcast called Cinescope, and you can find that where podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcasts.com. Show notes and all contact information for this show can be found at our website, workplacepodcast.com. If you want a shout out and more of an American workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker, bonus episodes, live streams, check out our Patreon page. Pick the support level that you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplace pod. And that's all for this week. Thank you so much for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 61 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 62 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season six, The Manager and the Salesman and the delivery. Goodbye. Gabe gets Joe Bennett, who is the CEO of the company and played by uh, an actress whose name I am blanking on. And it is Kathy Bates. Thank you for having that tab open, Chad. Um, (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs>